When it comes to weight loss, no two people are the same. That's why Noom builds personalized plans based on your unique psychology and biology. Take Brittany. After years of unsustainable diets, Noom helped her lose 20 pounds and keep it off. I was definitely in a yo-yo cycle for years of just losing weight, gaining weight, and it was exhausting. And Stephanie. She's a former D1 athlete who knew she couldn't out-train her diet, and she lost 38 pounds. My relationship to food before Noom was never consistent. And Evan, he can't stand salads, but he still lost 50 pounds with Noom. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. Even through the pickiness, Noom taught me that building better habits builds a healthier lifestyle. I'm not doing this to get to a number. I'm doing this to feel better. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom users compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Reveille, reveille, dogs. Look at us now, tip to tip. This is our life. This is our passion. That's the spirit we bring to this show. I'm Luke Thomas. I'm Brian Campbell. This is Morning Combat. It is Thursday, May 28th, 2020, and it is time for Morning Combat. Welcome, everyone. My name is Luke Thomas. I am one half of your hosting duo here for the show. The gentleman on the other side of the screen is the peanut butter to my jelly. I don't know, the frick to my frack, whatever else you want to call him. You know him from CBS Sports, among many other places. It is the gas station aficionado himself. Brian Campbell. Brian, how yeah, are the, you good, sir? Uh, the bait to your tackle, Luke. I am fired <laughs> up like Montella 94. This is how we do it on the MK to the Ultra. I was waiting for a, it's Monday. This is Monday from the great Luke. But no, it's a thirsty Thursday. Still bringing it to you despite the holiday week. Hey, Luke, I hope you enjoyed Memorial Day. And shout out to all the fallen soldiers who have provided us with this freedom. But that was Basically, the last time we're going to be off for a long time, brother, because the fights are back. It's a marathon and it's a sprint. That's the way it feels. Now, before we get into today's show, Brian, as you note, we are normally on Mondays. Today is a Thursday because of all the holidays and the changes. We'll be back to normal this coming Monday, so you can check us out there uh, then. For the time being, let me say a couple of things. Number one, please give the video a thumbs up. Hit that subscribe button, that notification bell, and share this video with anyone you think who would benefit from seeing it, which is literally anybody else on planet Earth. Last but not least, we are a product of Showtime Digital. If you want to try Showtime, there's an easy way to do it. You can have a free trial for 30 days. Just go to Showtime.com, and you can try out all the different stuff that they show, from documentaries to sports to original shows to how about morning combat strike force classics bc you can check that yeah, out thursdays it? 10 p.m on showtime extreme we're starting to put a few of those in the uh in the chamber so to speak we're going to shoot them off like fireworks and uh just to echo what you're saying real quick luke I don't want to be the bad guy, but I don't really want to do your sleepwalk dance anymore. These people need to hit subscribe because this rocket ship, it, it's going somewhere. And we want you to come along with us, uh, cashing them checks. You know what I'm saying? Well, let's do it. Let's do this MK revolution. Let's do it. Good, sir. All right. With that, let's get to the very first topic. If we can, Saturday, the UFC gets back to action. This time, for the first time in Nevada, since the pandemic started, they got approved for it yesterday. Different story for a different time, but let's talk about the main event. 
Former UFC welterweight champion Tyron Woodley gets back to action after 15 months off against the rising sensation Gilbert Burns. BC, I start with you on this one. To me, this is one hell of a main event for a lot of different reasons, but let's focus in on this. Tell me what you think the stakes are in this welterweight main event on Saturday. Well, first of all, Luke, I love this fight. Love this fight. A great fight. The stakes, you could be legitimately looking at the next. I said next welterweight title contender. Look, we know what's sort of going on right now. Kamaru Usman trying to draw on a big opponent using names like McGregor, like Masvidal. Even though Dana yesterday with uh, Phil Murphy of ESPN kind of said, look, it's either going to be Jorge or Colby for, for Masvidal or, or, or maybe no one else. But look... If someone comes out there, meaning Woodley or Gilbert Burns, and puts on a spectacular, quick performance, you just might see them get subbed in right away for that title shot, and both would be deserving an incredible five-fight win streak for Gilbert Burns, in which he's completely well-rounded his game in such impressive fashion to add some striking to that already great Jujutsu base. But really, I think the story of this fight is the 38-year-old Woodley. This is the crossroads, okay? We're going to miss everybody. We may be missing him pretty soon if he loses this fight. This is his opportunity to prove that that, that loss to Usman was nothing but an aberration. And Luke, I did talk to Tyron yesterday. I was expecting that, you know, angry, sort of edgy, you know, maybe defensive Tyron Woodley. He's calm and confident entering this one. He can't really put a label on why he looked so bad against Usman. I know a lot of us have said maybe he was juggling too much, trying to be too Hollywood. He just says mentally he wasn't there. So however you chalk that up, if he comes out and beats Gilbert Burns like we probably would have predicted him to do, let's say, a year ago, it kind of puts to rest the idea of him laying that egg against Kamaru and the idea of him being 38. He's got a chance to get right back in there among the truly elites. I think you said it exactly right, BC. This is truly, for Tyron Woodley, this is a crossroads moment. 38 years old, he turned 38 in April. When he took the title from Robbie Lawler, that made him the oldest welterweight champion in terms of how old they were when they grabbed it. And when he lost it to Kamaru Usman, that also made him the oldest in terms of how old they were when they lost it. You look at the other greats, like a Militich or a Hughes or a St. Pierre, most of them won it in their 20s, lost it in their early 30s. I think Pat Militich lost it at 33. So on the one hand, you're right, Tyron Woodley has done things at a more advanced age Age relative to other great welterweight champions than those other great welterweight champions. He was better longer later. On the other hand, this is a division that trends young, not by accident. To be 38 years old, coming off of a 15-month layoff against a rising Gilbert Burns, having looked pretty not great in your fight against Kamara. I mean, I had Kamara winning all of those rounds. You could maybe even argue one of them was 10-8. I think, in fact, someone did score at 10-8 along the way there are a ton of questions here it feels like the guy who beat Darren Till is just a long memory ago but it would be very very foolish to sleep on Tyron Woodley so for me who Tyron Woodley is a modest betting favorite heading into this I think that's right he deserves to be the favorite for me if he wins this I don't think he gets a title shot BC I'll take issue with your argument there however I do think it sets him up right in that space. He's already the number one contender in terms of his ranking, but it gives him a rematch, not a rematch, a first shot opportunity at a returning 
Colby Covington. Maybe he puts him in the Jorge Masvidal sweepstakes. Maybe a rematch with Kamaru after one more win. I don't know. But I think that Colby fight makes sense. On the other hand, as you alluded to, if Gilbert Burns wins this, he's going to jump into the top five. Last thing, if Tyron loses this, that will be two losses in a row. And now he'd be losing to somebody outside of the top five. It's one thing, BC, I think you would agree, to lose to Kamaru, who we both probably believe is not only the champion, obviously, but the best welterweight on the planet. There's no shame in losing to Gilbert, but those are not equivalent things at this stage. It would say a lot about whether he's coming or whether he's going. Yeah, and the reason why we said this is the crossroads moment, because if he's going, you know, he's not dead, but he enters into celebrity fighter, you know, the second half of Rich Franklin's career. Let me find a catch weight. Let me find another big name I can match up with to sell some tickets. We don't normally cheer for fighters, Luke. And, and by the way, talking to Gilbert Burns yesterday as well, one of the nicest guys ever. You have to be cheering, so to speak, for the run that he's been on, the ability to round out his game, just the joy he shows in the cage. But I will say this. There is something in my heart right here for Tyron Woodley. I don't think he got a fair shake ever from Dana White when he was on top. I don't think even the fans give him the credit for how great that title reign was, how he disarmed and took away the greatest skill from each of his opponents and essentially beat them at their own game. I know Tyron can get whiny. I know there's some reasons why people don't always love him, but there's a big opportunity for him to stick it right back down everyone's throat once again. And, you know, I think this division's better with him in a key spot. I want to see him get this opportunity to really prove himself and bounce back from such a tough defeat in which it was so one-sided. And maybe in his favor, Luke, is this. Gilbert Burns never gone past three rounds. You know, he's not afraid. He says, I, I welcome the deep water. But if Tyron Woodley can control distance and fight the fight on his terms like he was unable to against Kamaru Usman, the, there is a gap in experience. This is a legitimate step-up fight for Gilbert Burns with, with, you know, high risk comes reward, of course. But let's not count out Tyron so quickly. No, no, certainly you shouldn't be. I just mean his back is up against the wall a little bit in terms of what he's up against. I suspect he'll be his back will be against the cage in that twenty-five foot cage they're going to be in at the UFC Apex. But one thing you That's alluded to, going to be interesting, Luke. Yes, it's going to change the fight a little bit because Tyron likes to go backwards. Gilbert likes to go forward. So it's like, on the one hand, you're going to have Tyron in the very place that Kamaru was able to do great work against him. On the other hand, when you look at some of the losses Gilbert has had, it's from rushing in from the outside. And Tyron has that great pull counter with the right. So it could get dicey. But I want to focus in on one thing you mentioned, which I thought was right on the money, BC, which is... I don't think Tyron can just get away with a win on Saturday. Yes, of course, a win is significantly better than a loss, obviously. But remember, he butted heads with the UFC management. And I agree with you, it's not fair. I think even like two or two weeks ago, Tyron posted a video that I had done about how he's underappreciated on his own Instagram page. And there's a lot about what he did during his title reign that never got appreciated. That being said... You know, he wasn't the favorite son of the UFC. Whether you agree with that or not, it's just a reality. I don't think he can go in there and just eke out a win against a guy who used to be a lightweight. He's got to go in there. I don't know if he has to get a finish, BC, but it's got to be dominant one way or the other. Otherwise, the title shot sweepstakes, whether they're right there or even, you know, two steps beyond, it's not going to happen. Yeah, it's a good point. And maybe the small cage will end up producing the urgency to make Tyron Woodley have to bring out the very best of him. And, you know, we never saw that against Kamar Usman. I mean, not only was it, a you know, in the end, a bad style matchup in a way, he just never was. He wasn't there, Luke. He never happened. He never flipped the switch. We and never even saw him being willing to go out on a shield. He just wasn't there. 
Look, if Gilbert wins, and you mentioned he's a nice guy, he's the nicest guy and a decorated combat athlete. You couldn't say anything bad about Gilbert Burns. And if he earns this opportunity by beating Tyron, then he earns it fair and square, and that's the end of it. But I think something would be lost in MMA history if Tyron doesn't fight Colby Covington. I just firmly believe that. And if he beats Colby Covington, I think he's entitled to another title shot at that point. About Jorge, I don't know because they're boys. I guess we'd have to see. But I think there's fights that go away. And I'm not saying it's Brock versus Fedor. But I want to see that fight. I think you want to see that fight. I think the fans want to see that fight. you got to get through Gilbert Burns first. Any last hey, thoughts on the Hey, gun to your head super quick. And I know Jay's going to be all in your cochlea eye in a second. Who will Kamaru Usman face this summer? Gun to your head. Who do you got? Walter White title. Tell me. For, uh, I think there's, I think I just have a hard time not imagining Tyron and Colby facing off. Maybe I'm wrong, but that's just what I see. So who's that for Kamaru, bro? Oh, what do you mean? Who's facing, sorry, if I said Woodley by accident, I didn't mean it. Who's facing Kamaru Usman this summer? Oh, uh, well, let's get to that now with our second point, because it leads us right into it. So with that, we go to as BC has indicated, about Kamaru Usman. So Kamaru Usman is your UFC welterweight champ. And out of nowhere this week, he and his manager, Ali Abdelaziz, were calling for a Conor McGregor fight. And I'm thinking to myself, BC, okay, on the one hand, it sort of makes sense, right? You've got a guy who is a champion, and technically, Conor is ranked 14th in that division. Whether you agree with that or not, he is. And... Fighting Connor is obviously a money fight, but it's like, wait a second, Jorge is not somebody's afterthoughts. He's the BMF champ. He has elevated himself to star status in a way that, you know, five years ago, we didn't think possible. We hoped he'd get there, and he finally did. BC, why is Kamaru calling out Connor? Is it just the money angle? Yeah, you know, it's funny. I did bring that up yesterday to to Tyron Woodley and type of ask him, you know, why he thinks and why is Connor being entered in? And he says, look, Connor's not in this. Kamaru's the most boring fighter of the elite welterweights. You can't draw a dime. This is his only way to try to elevate his brand. I mean, look, there's some truth in that. You can take that for what you will. Uh, Dana has sort of squashed any idea. This seems to be a well-orchestrated Ali Abdelaziz plan to maybe try to bring this to life. And in some ways, you could argue that it makes a lot of sense because right now, Conor McGregor needs a stay busy fight that doesn't affect his status in the lightweight title lineage, you know, in terms of the the ladder right there. I know anyone can say, why does he deserve it? Well, look, Habib versus Conor is going to break every single record possible. So UFC is going to do everything in their power to keep that fight alive if Habib can get past Justin Gaethje. So he needs an out of division, stay busy, Nate Diaz type fight. With the potential history at stake, could that have been Kamaru? Could Kamaru have benefited from the rub of beating Connor? Could Connor have gotten away with an excuse and not hurt himself by losing, by getting out-wrestled? It seemed to all kind of make a ton of sense, plus the idea that maybe Kamaru would be a little bit too ballsy against Connor and maybe leave himself open to get caught. I mean, there's storylines there. Dana White squashing it. I tend to believe it's not going to happen. It's just Kamaru Usman's way to say, hey, look, UFC, I've been trying to get into a big fight. Like, let's do this thing. We did hear Jorge Masvidal in an interview with Ariel on ESPN yesterday say that Kamaru has been pricing himself out in the negotiations. Luke, you never really know who to believe in these spots. But uh, Kamaru does need a big fight. And I don't necessarily want it just to be Colby Covington rematch because that's the only guy that tends to that will make sense in the end financially. Like, great fight the first time around. But let's continue the narrative. Um, 
If they're going to hold Jorge Masvidal out because they believe in his BMF brand and they believe that making a fight against Nate just seems to make dollars and cents, I'm okay with that. But if not, let's get Jorge in there and let's fight for the title. Let's, let's play this thing out. Yeah, I mean, if you're asking who has done enough to merit a title shot among the active contenders near the top of the division, so we're talking Jorge, we're talking Colby, we're talking Tyron, you can throw in whoever else you want behind that, Gilbert, Stephen Thompson, something like that. You know, the answer is pretty clearly Jorge Masvidal. He clearly has done enough at this point to merit a title shot, whether he wants one or not, or whether he wants the Diaz fight more or whatever. He's the guy that has lined himself up for that opportunity. But the reason why I think Kamar Usman, let's even assume that what Jorge Masvidal is saying is absolutely true. Let's just take that for what it is. Maybe it's not, but let's say that it is. All Kamaru is doing by pricing himself out of a fight with Jorge or then asking for a fight with Conor McGregor is responding to the very incentives that the UFC sets up for champions and fighters once they become champions. What do I mean by that? Well, you saw with Henry Cejudo that he didn't even... It's not that he was necessarily ducking all the toughest challenges because, hello, he was a natural flyweight who went up to bantamweight and beat Marlon Moraes in the, one of the most impressive fashions I've ever seen. But after that, was really looking for some kind of name that had nothing to do with whether or not they were the toughest challenge. Why? Because the amount of money that this guy makes in a very narrow window is going to be a function of the celebrity power of his opponent, period. And no one has celebrity power at welterweight, frankly, in the UFC at all, like Conor McGregor. In that sense, the call-out makes total, uh, complete, rational understanding. On the other count of a potentially pricing himself out, of a fight with Jorge Masvidal, we don't really know what he's asking. We know UFC athletes year over year tend to get 16 to 18% of gross revenue. So I seriously doubt he's actually asking himself or pricing himself out of the market. I, I bet he's asking what the market value is, just that the market value for UFC fighters is depressed. So it just kind of feels that way. But again, fighters who have to kind of eat an S sandwich along the way, you see it every time. Once they become champion, they use that to leverage the most amount of money possible, either through playing hardball in some of these contract negotiations or calling out opponents who have nothing really to do with a meritocratic title shot, BC. They just make them a lot of money. But that's where, that's exactly the incentive structure and the roadmap that's laid out in front of them all Kamara was doing is responding to it. It sucks for you and I because we don't, we're not going to get a Connor fight. We're not going to get a Jorge Masvidal fight, at least not right away. So we have to play this stupid game where we're talking about things that aren't even really all that relevant in the actual sense of things. But this is the way it's set up to go. It's set up to go exactly like this. So we find ourselves here again. Yeah, very well said, Luke. I actually believe that w with the lack of a live gate for a while, I really question whether we're going to get any of these potential kind of crossover super fights. And I do think the idea of like a Conor uh, Usman would be one of those because of the potential history at stake for Conor. I mean, you know, just Conor's numbers alone say it best when he averages between what, like eight and 11 million per live gate. That really affects negotiations. It really affects the ability to make these kind of big fights when you know off the top you're not getting that for UFC. But to close on this topic, I would be remiss if I didn't mention Leon Edwards. And I did remember that Dana also mentioned him to Phil Murphy in that interview yesterday saying that he's also in this conversation. Good with point. all this uncertainty, with contract demands, it, it, you met, that may end up being the fight, Luke, because it's probably a cheap fight to make. Leon Edwards, you have to say, is deserving. So maybe that's just the quick fix this summer to throw a card together, save on the big fights, and just kind of keep that division moving along. Only problem is Kamara already fought him and beat him handily. So it's like, what do you really get out of that? The last thing I'd say, though, is uh, about the 
live gate. Here's the thing, man. UFC loves to talk about how successful they are and how capable they are and what they do is just figure things out. And then when fighters come and stick their hand out for more money, they talk about how poor they are. It's the most amazing thing. It's like clockwork. It happens all the time. If the UFC was willing to pay for different kinds of changes relative to jumping up in weight or a fighter reaching new status and thinking that they're entitled to a new contract, if they did that when all the money was coming in and now that there's this lack of a live gate, they were like, well, look, we got to make some, some tough calls. I'd be much more sympathetic to the idea that the pandemic is really tightening their belts. And I'm sure on some level, it was, of course, tightening their belts. But when they were flush with cash, they did the exact same thing. It's kind of what they do. I don't give them the benefit of the doubt now that they don't have a gate. They've got tons of other contracted revenue. They don't have near the same volatility in pay-per-view that they once did now with this new ESPN deal. To me, this is just who they are. They pay fighters, uh, certainly relative to other MMA promoters, a ton of money. No one could say otherwise. But relative to the overall share of revenue, it's a pittance. And that's just a fact. That's fair. That's fair. It's relative to how much they actually budget for fighter pay. And obviously, we hope that changes. But uh, yeah, that, that is what it is in that regard. And uh, uh, Endeavor issues or not, you know, good luck getting extra money out of them right now. I mean, Let me Dana you, buying the palms. Didn't you read yeah, that? I saw that for 800 plus mil. Maybe we'll see. Let me ask you one more question. Put it to you. Who do you think Kamaru was fighting in July? Start, I'm starting to feel like with the if this whole pricing concern is real, and look, I think it is, even though you're right. They, they seem to have more money. They're not paying the guys enough. But I, again, until I see it, I'm not sure they're going to make a truly blockbuster fight. And as great on paper as something like Tony and Justin Gaethje was, and it was important for them to come back with a bang with a big fight, uh, that also had sort of a ceiling financially. It wasn't a true crossover fight. Yeah, I, I think it might be Leon Edwards, you know, mm. unless Colby will take it for cheap money. Like, I, I doubt we're going to get Masvidal. I doubt we're going to get Connor. All right. Well, I hope maybe Woodley. Luke, maybe Woodley. Maybe, maybe Woodley. Friggin he's the star power. You know, he's the real A side there. Maybe uh, Woodley. It's, it's, it's not a bad point because if he is the guy who knows uh, that he's been on the outside looking in, all the other people who are ahead of him don't want to play ball. I mean, if you're going to play ball, better late than never, right? And you could just waltz in there and get another title shot. You know, that actually, I don't think that's crazy. I don't think, but it's contingent on what the guys ahead of him do, less so than, you know, just absolutely butchering. Gilbert Burns on Saturday. So I guess we'll see. Uh, let's jump down to 135 now for our third topic, BC. This is one that's got you hot under the collar. I know you had a whole column about it on CBS Sports. So let's go to you on this. Henry Cejudo is officially no longer the champion. You can go to UFC.com right now, slash rankings, UFC.com slash rankings, excuse me. And you can see he's no longer, obviously, the flyweight champ, but more especially no longer the bantamweight champ. He is not ranked. And in fact, he put out a message on social media sort of confirming, thanking everyone. It was a nice sentiment, and it was a picture of him with the belts on, shaking hands with Dana, obviously post-fight, whether it was the last one or the one before, I'm not sure. In any event, BC, it brings into question about what the future is of the bantamweight division. I will, for a third time, BC, because I'm feeling generous today, I want to pitch it to you, but I want to wow. pitch it to you in such a way, we know, for example, Sterling and Sanhagen, they're fighting at UFC 250 on the main card. We appear to know that Jan and Jose Aldo... Uh, might be competing maybe for a title. I guess we'll see. What do you make of the future of Bantamweight? Well, the future of Bantamweight is, is great. It's, it's bright because it's such a friggin' deep division. It's bottlenecked with young guys that are about to make the leap, right? The Aljos, the Sanhagens, the Peter Jans. 
and also has like the perfect mixture of old names. I mean, you even got, let's not forget, you got Frankie Edgar coming back in July, probably against Pedro Munoz at Bantamweight. We got Mr. Faber lingering. We got Aldo. We got Dom Cruz, all that. You got Cody Garbrandt coming back. It's an awesome division. So to remove a guy in Cejudo who, let's be honest, I love Cejudo, does get hurt a lot, does look for other fights, sort of kind of was doing a, a, a poor man's Connor in terms of hijacking that belt to a small degree in a division that needs clarity. So in that regard, actually good news that we can start getting some bang up fights. I think the problem is the UFC's choice in this spot. I know Jose Aldo already had been given a shot against uh, Suhudo, and we already went through that conversation. You know, it's not the right move, but it feels so good. Aldo looked great. Imagine Aldo being a two-division champion. I love a lot of those things. The problem is you just did that with Dom Cruz. Like, you already did that move of taking the popular uh, guy for your B-side spot to sort of try to help extra sell tickets. At this point... It's time to find out who the actual best is. And I think Marlon Moraes, who was already scheduled to face Peter Jan, uh, it, it makes sense. That guy fought great against Henry Cejudo before losing the vacant title. Comes back and beats Aldo in a very good fight. He's deserving. Why not go that direction? I love what they're doing UFC 250, two Saturdays from now. Three Bantamweight fights on that card. Not just San Hagen against Aljo. You got Sean O'Malley coming back in a spot to really push himself up. You got Cody Garbrandt coming back against Rafael Asunza. Like These are great fights that in some ways are, is like a de facto tournament to try to trim the fat and figure out who's next. But as much as I love him and I do love me some Jose Aldo, he don't deserve this. And we just did the Dom Cruz experiment don't go back to the well twice on this. Give the guys a chance to figure out who's the best. I know you're probably not going to ever do another tournament, even though, let's not forget, UFC did a flyweight tournament a couple years back, right? Turned out good for me, but it is very bellatory, very strike force -y. Dana's not really into that. Now would be the time to do it, but if you're not, Luke, at least let the guys who have been itching get in there. I wouldn't mind Aldo being in the tournament if it was eight-man, right? That, to me, would be okay, but if it's How about two-man? How about a two-man tournament with Aldo? No. <laughs> no. But I'm saying if you had the top eight contenders, even that, it's like, okay, why is Aldo there? But okay, I'd sort of find a way to live with it. I'd be like, fine. I mean, is he really taking the most prestigious slot or something like that? No. But when you do top four and you're leaving Moraes out, to me, I, I hate everything about it. Look, I'm not telling you it's going to be a bad fight. I'm not even telling you that Jose Aldo can't win that. I, I think he's probably as live a dog as there might be. I favor Peter Jan to win, but Jose Aldo is certainly a very talented fighter, and he looked very good against Marlon Moraes. But the point being is like, you finally have a moment to lean into this burgeoning youth movement that is happening at 135 between, as you mentioned, Moraes, Sterling, Sandhagen, uh, and Jan. That was such... I mean, the idea of those guys fighting and how good the fighting would be and what it would say about the person who emerges from that would be so important. And I wouldn't tell you that they'd be a star overnight, but here's the truth. If Jose Aldo was criticized for anything during the course of his career, it was one, kind of taking fights or rounds off. Even when he won, he was just kind of being lackadaisical about it. People hammered him for it in the Frankie Edgar fight, even though he won that the first one. And then also that he was never really much of a draw. He was constantly criticized for never really trying to learn English. And I don't think that's very fair, 
But that's exactly what was leveled against him. Now we're supposed to believe that he's a kingmaker when you beat him? I mean, maybe for Max, because it was sort of novel in the way that he did it not once but twice, or for Connor, for the extraordinary way that he did it. But now at 135, at this stage in his career, this is going to turn Peter Yan into some kind of overnight celebrity? I just don't buy it. I don't buy it at all. I don't think you're getting much of a boost. And now where is Marlon Marais sitting in all of this? He's watching everyone else compete for a space he's legitimately earned. He People always say, oh, you could make a case that Aldo beat Marash. I can make a case for a lot of shit that didn't happen. It didn't happen. In the end, he recorded the W. You, That's the guy who gets to, or run it back. Have him run it back, and that's fine. You can do that again. But if you're not going to run it back, and that's the guy that's going to get the W, then he's the one who is entitled to the spoils of the victory. And so why not embrace this new generation of like extraordinary fighting talents that are coming up, which they're doing at UFC 250, Brian, with Sandhagen and Sterling. And everybody yes. is pumped for it you get the exact same thing peter yan is going to be a star one day but it's not going to be because he beat jose aldo yeah and look we, we almost justified the first aldo idea because it was really meant to to you know there's a great possibility of helping cejudo really become that true superstar if he beat him more than it would putting him in there against a younger killer but there's enough younger killers now let's let them all bang i mean come on come on dana you should be better than this it's a bit gratuitous right here let me ask you one more of these, then we'll jump to the next topic, which is we got our unofficial four-man tourney. Let's assume that they don't give a title to Jose Aldo or Jan, right? Let's just assume it's non-title, okay? Oh, you don't think? I think that's going to be vacant belt all the way, Luke. No, no, no. I suspect that it will be. I'm just saying for the purposes of discussion, let's assume that it's not. Uh, who wins that fight? Who wins Sanhagen versus Sterling? What do you think? You know, I, I I think I may end up favoring Jose Aldo when it's all said and done. Uh, he looked that good in his first fight. You know what I mean? I think, you know, for all this that we said, right? Who are we, right? We're just some losers with uh, cool t-shirts in our basement. Uh, the deal on the Sanhagen Aldo one is it's the best fight of the group. I mean, it, you know, I, I wouldn't even be mad if that main evented UFC 250. Look, UFC 250 sneaky good undercard just doesn't have a main event so i get why people are a little bit upset that that's a pay-per-view and we got cody in the co-main event but aljo sanhagen is the best fight uh i think sanhagen's the dark horse of this division and i think he has been since the beginning he could be the guy standing at the end of it luke yeah sanhagen's my guy to win the whole thing too although i think the fight with jan would be pretty incredible if Jan is able to get past jose i do think jan will so i think eventually it will be a jan versus Sandhagen showdown, but Sterling and Aldo, I'll give them credit, dude. They're not, they're not, especially Sterling, they're not out of this. So should be kind of interesting. All right, let's jump now from super elite in their prime fighters to the exact opposite, BC. Look, man, we grew up in the 80s, BC. We, own, we, we know what Mike Tyson means to combat sports fans of even remotely our age. He was the guy, he was the great white shark. He was the menacing figure. He was the figure among all figures. He made boxing more popular in his era than it otherwise would have been, and that's just a fact. And now at age, was it, 52, 53, he is sort of teasing a bit of a comeback. I believe he was on, I'm told, AEW last night. I think. Yeah, you Henry are told. Who, you're, you're told by me, pro wrestling, baby. Oh, yeah. And I think Henry Cejudo was there, too. I don't know what they were doing, but uh, here's the point. He's been hitting pads with Rafael Cordero of King's MMA. You know, obviously that looks pretty good. And he's teasing a comeback. We don't know exactly what. Bare Knuckle is offering him. Uh, I spoke to David Feldman, the guy who runs it. Uh, $20 million, potentially with Vanderlei Silva on the line, to do bigger than Mayweather numbers, which is cockamamie. And my question to you is, 
Are you interested? Let me go first on this one, if I may. Listen, man. Yeah, you have a I, producer credit. Take the floor, Luke. Well, you know, I got to get one of these in. But here's my point, BC. I doubt we're too far apart on this one. You like the Carney stuff a little bit more than me, but even then, it's just a degree of difference, not kind. I'm not telling you that if he came back in bare knuckle in a four-round exhibition or whatever it may, it may end up being, that it wouldn't do decent numbers, maybe even good, maybe even great. But it's not going to do even anything approximating Mayweather numbers. Although I take it seriously that his celebrity is enduring. I, I remember trying to explain to people about Kimbo Slice, why folks were still interested. Remember, Kimbo Slice is easily the most popular fighter in Bellator history. That's just a fact. No one has even come close to what he drew. And it's because even though he had those losses, and even though he didn't quite look the same, and even though he was fighting Dada 5000 and whatever else, People had an attachment to this guy f that was bonded during a really interesting time in their lives through a, a very interesting medium. And those bonds, they die hard. Well, imagine Mike Tyson, for crying out loud, who achieved legitimate things in boxing and was a worldwide celebrated figure. So I get that there's going to be a market for him to do virtually anything. One-man shows, marijuana strains, AEW, you name it. So if he does it, it will do well. I will be comfortable with it if he's not really putting his health in super jeopardy, right? So I don't know how I feel about bare knuckle, but like a four-round boxing exhibition, I don't think is the end of the world. And if a commission is regulating it, I feel even better. So if people want to watch it, which we would have to do for this job anyway, I'm not even going to lecture him about it, BC, because I'd be a huge hypocrite. But I guess what I am going to say is, am I actually interested? Do I really want to see this? Does it get me out of bed in the morning to think about, oh my God, what would this might look like? No, it does not. It does not at all. And I just think we have to kind of be honest about it. I think I understand where the appeal comes from. I just can't share in its vigor. Where are you on this? Yeah, every there's a line in, in everywhere. Like I'm the gas station food guy. I'm the old guy fight. Hashtag old guy fights. I've been threatening to start my own promotion for years. The difference is I like old guy fights under the guise of what like the big three is to the NBA, right? I like when aging names get sort of one more chance to scratch that itch, cash a paycheck, maybe come back and go out on their own terms in some type of fun little setup against either another aging name or somebody younger who has a size disadvantage. But I normally like that when guys are like late 30s and washed or in their 40s. There is a limit even for me in getting excited about that. And I think Tyson is just a different element in this conversation because like, I don't care if you, if you loved him or hated him, if you lived it, if you were there in the eighties when he was the biggest star in sports and one of the biggest cultural icons of the moment, almost worldwide, you have this soft spot in love. I mean, let's be honest. He should be dead. He's lived the life of like 30 people in one. And the fact that he's been able most recently to find some like legitimate, uh, emotional happiness first through marijuana. And now, uh, as you can see on this AEW video last night, he came out with Cejudo, Vitor Belfort and Rashad Evans. And, uh, I do a weekly MMA podcast with Rashad Evans on CBS sports and Rashad's big in the psychedelic game from the idea of healing. Mike Tyson's also gone through that as well. And he's for the first time in a spot mentally and emotionally. And Rashad and I had a great conversation about that this week where he actually can train. If you look at any Mike Tyson interview over the last decade, he doesn't even like to talk about the, the crazy man he once was, the fighter. He hates that person. It was like shame, as Rashad put it, for who he used to be. He's finally coming to terms, really through his psychedelic uh, medical drug use, 
to, to being okay with that and to putting back on the gloves and being okay getting in great shape. Now, I don't know if this whole great and great shape thing is going to lead to a pro wrestling match with Chris Jericho. And if it does, hey, that's, that's great. That's fun. That's fun stuff. But I have such an emotional connection like a lot of us to seeing Mike stay healthy in every category that, you know, I don't want him. I don't want him in bare knuckle against Vanderlei Silva, even though it's seemingly the perfect slop for me. I don't want him in a, hey, let's hug with Evander Holyfield and pretend to bite each other's ears. And, oh, maybe we throw some real punches for one round. I want to see Mike make money, but I want to see him happy. It's hard not to really care about that guy, Luke, when you've seen how hard he's taken falls yet continually come back from that. Um, great that he's in shape. Great that he's happy. But let, let's let's leave it there. Let's put a limit on that. Yeah, I think that's a great point. I mean, if you watch that movie that came out in the aughts about him, the first sort of psychological documentary that he was a part of and talking about his own mistakes, and he still has not, whatever one's view of the uh, uh, the, the rape charge and the time he did, it's still something that he denies to this day. But uh, he has, to me, if you watch that documentary and even listen to those one-man shows, which have a comedic element to it, you realize two things. One, he is consciously aware in general of the trauma that he has caused to other people and himself. And he is consciously and he has fully internalized about the trauma he experienced bringing up and the actions he undertook to deal with it. And it weighed on him in a significant way. I mean, it twisted him to the point where it took him, what do you want to say, 20 years almost, uh, 15 plus to work his way through it in the most sort of undulating, difficult, uh, exhausting kind of path to where he's now in a place that is, as you indicated, significantly healthier. The worst thing that could happen to me is not so much that he gets knocked out and that would be brain trauma, although that by itself could be certainly at 53, not a great thing, but let's assume he gets up off the canvas and he's more or less okay. Does that trauma itself trigger some kind of reconsideration about all the things he has already processed himself through does it does it make him regret certain things does it does it just undo the progress in a way in which he has already made certainly we can all agree mike tyson is probably a better human and a citizen today than he was in 1990 and that's not by accident he had to work to get there and i just i don't know i i can't deny a man a paycheck if that's what he wants but I can't pretend that this is something that like I'm eager to see. I'm not. I'm just not eager to see it. Yeah, it's like someone saying, oh, you're the adult film guy. Well, here's one where the girl gets peed on. No, R. Kelly, get out. I don't want get. Well, that, I mean, that's, you know, don't speak for my preferences. Only speak for yours, okay? okay. All right. Okay. By that, we move on to our fifth and final topic here, BC, which is the UFC. We had talked about fighter pay just a minute ago, talking about Kamara Usman. Let's circle back to it. So John Jones made news this past week, a little bit before that too, he live-tweeted his uh, exploratory negotiations, if you want to call that, with the UFC to fight Francis Ngannou. And what he wanted was more money to go up to heavyweight, and the UFC told him basically, under no uncertain terms, no. Like, I mean, we'll pay you more if under your existing deal you generate more, but we're not actually going to change the terms to give you more to take on something that is pretty, pretty easily... I think, uh, a risky proposition for him one way or the other. BC, why is the UFC reluctant to pay John Jones? And by the way, Francis wants more too. So why are they reluctant to pay them more and should they? I think this is such a fascinating conversation about 
the the real decisions that get made in the war room, so to speak, with the UFC. And obviously, the answer to this is financials in a lot of ways. But I think there's other elements that people might not be looking at that do connect with that. Now, just one point, Dana did speak on it finally a second time. We know originally he told John Anik in that live stream, everybody wants it, but I don't see that happening. Well, he did tell Phil Murphy yesterday, don't believe everything you hear from fighters when they speak publicly. So there's probably some truth to that, that maybe John's saying... Uh, UFC told me anytime I'm ready to go to heavyweight, they'll rip up my contract and give me a new one. You know, maybe that's not fully true. We don't really know. But if some of that is true, you certainly can uh, sympathize with John. You can sympathize with fans who who would go nuts for this fight. You'd sympathize with the idea of like, hey, UFC, like this is what you're all about. You're all about people daring to be great and making super fights. Why the hell would you not do this? So I think it's a little bit too easy to say just money, even though money's a big part of it. Again, there's no live gate for a while. Again, uh, maybe UFC doesn't want to pay John like super fight money for Nganu. And then, you know, if John wins, what do you pay him for the next one? Do you have to double, you know, would you have to go up even more? Maybe there's some of that. Maybe there's some of the belief through UFC's eyes that John is not as big of a draw as he thinks he is. But I wonder, Luke, if it's more to do with the long-term vision of matchmaking per division. Now, now deal with me on this for a second, okay? They've right. got something again here in Francis Ngannou. Like, we just talked about Mike Tyson. He's the Mike Tyson of MMA, potentially. He was the soaring rocket ship that got shot down, only he didn't explode. He's rebuilt himself great. I love the idea of Jones Ngannou most, most of all, because I don't care who you are, how expert of a fan of a fan in terms of breaking down the technique, you could be Professor Salt and Pepper, or you could be, you know, filthy casual BC, and you don't know what that fight's gonna look like. But what if UFC thinks John's gonna figure out a way to win that? Did we just damage a potential rocket ship in Nganu who may be the perfect guy to go up there against an aging Stipe or an aging DC to, to, to pass the torch. Interesting. And if you did that, if you sacrificed Francis Ngannou's brand potential to John, what are you leaving that light heavyweight division? Yes, you have a potential future star in Dom Reyes, but right now you have no one marketable there who can consistently headline pay-per-views. I wonder if UFC is thinking this. John's been pretty, pretty close lately at 205. He's almost lost to Mahetta, almost lost to Dom Reyes. If he stays there, he's probably going to lose eventually, soon. That might be what they want, Luke. They might want an official passing of the torch where they don't have to pay John a whole ton to fight a Dom Reyes, and he may end up losing to them. And then if John goes up to heavyweight, then it's still a big deal. We still need to see what it looks like. And you also leave someone behind at 205 who now has the rub of beating John Jones. And, you know, if you flip the switch and say, well, what if John doesn't ever lose again at 205? Well, at least you still have that headliner every single time who can be a... I mean, how, how many people in the UFC right now are A-side pay-per-view headliners? Not a ton, Luke. So I wonder if it's more to do with UFC either saying, we think John is closer to the end than we realize. Let's leave him at 205. Or maybe we think John secretly could beat the crap out of Nganu. We don't want to do that. Then, hey, we don't want to pay John. I think that's an interesting theory. The second of the two I take, well, both are, I think, are pretty decent ones, especially about the idea that what happens if he beats Francis? What do we do then? But here's the thing. It's like, if you can beat Francis right now, and Francis has beaten, look at all the other contenders around him. Uh, I guess Derek Lewis would be the only one close to him that he's not beaten. But, you know, Kane, Curtis Blades twice. I mean, you go down the list, JDS, he's just knocking them all out. So if you can beat Francis... It's hard for me to understand why you couldn't beat the rest of them. I'm not even playing MMA math per se. I'm just simply saying 
Um, the riddle for Francis is certainly different than the other ones, but if you can solve that one, chances are you could probably solve a lot of the other ones too, especially with John's skill set. But here's my point. When they say, oh, they don't, they don't really want this fight, don't believe what you read on social media, it's like, okay, call their bluff, <laughs> right? I mean, here's the whole way you know that they don't want to fight. Okay, we'll pay you more. Sure, no problem, sign. Here's your bout agreement. And then if they get wishy-washy, well, then you know what the answer is. But the fact is, again, oh, in a pandemic, we don't have a gate, we don't have money. But when you didn't have a pandemic, you were doing the same thing. Oh, well, they don't want to fight. Okay, well, if you actually never make them the offer that they're asking for, or at least something you know competitive, you always go into a job interview, BC, asking for more money than you actually expect to get so you can you know uh, negotiate a little bit higher than what you would ordinarily receive. If you can negotiate down to some kind of middle ground that's higher than normal, uh, offer it to them and then see what they say. And if they don't say yes, well, then we know that this whole thing is a charade, but they never seem to call the bluff. They just keep saying, oh, it's all smoke and mirrors. And then John is doing extensive interviews with John Morgan over at MMA Junkie about how he feels about this. And I get that they've got strained relationships, which both sides certainly have the hand in creating, I think you could say. I'm just pointing out they always want us to take the promoter's idea about this at face value. And I'm saying, put your money where your mouth is. You say they don't want it. Prove it. Yeah. Yeah. Prove it. That's right. a, that's a fair point. But, you know, if they say prove it and those fighters say yes, that's not a championship out and they'd have to pay championship money. So what about what I about trying to look at it? What, I think your I think your theory is good, but what about the idea that, like you mentioned, there's not a lot of headliners? Okay, UFC to a degree, pretty strong degree, let's be honest, has taken out a lot of the volatility in their pay per view uh, business. Right? It used to be like we just don't know what we're going to do. Hundred thousand or more depends on the headliner. Now it's not that way. Uh, however, Jones versus Ngannou. I mean, I can't guarantee that that sells a lot, but. I have a feeling that would sell a lot better than virtually any other John Jones fight you could make at 205 by a factor of two. And so if you can make money like that, which will then make up for a potential lost gate, why wouldn't you just do that? Fair question. Fair question, Luke. But uh, All right, so uh, last thing. I'll go back to you one more time. Do you think they make it or no? No. Uh, I, I, you heard, I hear, I heard enough in Dana's voice that, you know, maybe for some of the reasons I laid out, you don't want anything to do with that at the moment. And it is, it is, by the way, I'm not going to act like, you know, I'm going to pretend I'm some matchmaking of financials expert. Oh, it's, it's, it's certainly disappointing. Cause that's a, it's a absolute slam dunk of a type of crossover fight that anyone would understand and need to see. So it is a little sad because that seems to be what the UFC is all about. Yeah, and lastly, it's like, what is the point of having all the fighters under one roof if we can't get them to fight? It's like, okay, all right, whatever. Uh, okay, with that in mind, we go now to where you, the viewer, gets to ask a question. We always put a, uh, a, a post up on Instagram uh, 24 hours before the show, and we took your questions. It is time now for DMs from dogs. All right, there we have it. Uh, BC, I will go to you first on this one. The first question is from at this is Potu. Um, is there a more pointless argument in MMA than who is the goat until Charlie Zelenoff crosses over from boxing? There is no <laughs> MMA goat. What do you think? Oh, Charlie Z, the unbeaten. Uh, yeah. Um, no, I, I, I am a. Here's the deal. There's a lot of people, and it mostly starts with fighters. 
and I get it, but there's a lot of people who say, you know, pawn for pawn rankings, they're stupid. Greatest of all time rankings, they're stupid because there's a GOAT today, but somebody else is going to be the GOAT, you know, next year. Well, the reason why this to, to me matters in, in its true currency is because, like, it's the only way you really can rank guys in a sport where everyone doesn't face each other. There's weight classes. There's a lot of different things. So in a lot of ways, this is the way to rank greatness. It's also kind of fun, you know? So fighters may say, oh, that's what all you nerdy journalists do in your basement. Well, yeah, our, us nerdy journalists also have yeah. hours to fill on radio and podcast shows and stories. So we do get into this stuff. Um, it is interesting when somebody like Conor McGregor puts out like 15 straight tweets with like a detailed breakdown on who he believes is the GOAT. Now, it can be, I get the frustration with an MMA because it's such a new sport. So Amanda Nunes knocks out Cyborg and she's the GOAT. So what happens if, you know, somebody else beats Amanda Nunes? Are they the GOAT? Well, no. But I don't think it has to be like a title that changes hands, you know, potentially every few months. But I do think it's important to sort of have a working hierarchy. We've said that, you know, you've heard it said before in any sport that Hall of Fames are great. But there's levels within Hall of Fames. And I've always outlined that there's levels at the GOAT table, right? You know, I've always told you, I think it's John Jones, GSP, Anderson Silva, Demetrius Johnson, Daniel Cormier, and Fedor. Those are the people who are allowed in the upper room at the moment. Disagree with that all you want. I think the floor below that are guys like Jose Aldo, Conor McGregor, you know, BJ Penn. There, there's, but there has to be levels to this in the end, at the end of the day. So, no, I don't think a GOAT conversation is pointless. It fills time. It's fun you know, step off. Okay. If you only into this game for the technique, then watch uh, morning combat dissected. All right. Yeah. Which is a fine program, but certainly will not get to larger and broader conversations. I would say, I don't think that the goat conversation is pointless in part because it's simply inevitable, right? People have a natural tendency to sort and rank. They want to know who is the best. It seems like an obvious question. It's a very simple question. It's just not one with an easy answer. And so, it becomes a bit of a tedious debate. And I, I agree with you. All the names you mentioned, I would put them in that sort of upper tier. And then from there, you know, the problem is you can't standardize experiences, right? They're all not running the same obstacle course. They have to kind of do their own obstacle courses through the course of their career. And then you're trying to say, well, which one matters more and what do you look for? What was interesting about Connors, BC, was that if you notice, like, what he didn't like lay out a definition of greatness, but if you just read between the lines, to him, what constitutes greatness, by the way, again, borrowing from Floyd's playbook about, you know, taking some time off, come back, start declaring yourself TBE. It's just like, I mean, to a, to a T, he's copying Floyd. But um, the thing I would say is he doesn't care about the floor. He only cares about the ceiling, right? Like all the guys you mentioned, they all have losses, but they all have these incredibly long win streaks too, right? Consistency over time against what is believed to be high-level opposition. Connor doesn't necessarily have that. He's got win streaks, of course. He doesn't have that many losses. But what he's got are these like punctuated highs. And I'll say this, BC. I'll throw it back to you on this one. What if he... I know you might say this is totally impossible, but let's just say... Let's say he wins the welterweight strap. Ooh. right? So then he becomes featherweight champ, lightweight champ, first to hold two at the same time, and then the first UFC fighter to win across three different weight classes. And then let me let me let me spice it up a little bit even more. But then he can't beat Nurmagomedov in a rematch. So now what is he, right? It it makes the debate about what defines greatness very difficult because Connor does not have what St. Pierre and Jones and Johnson all and, and Silva have, but he would have something that they never even got close to. It's a complicated debate. 
It is. It's a great debate. I love it. And I love pound for pound even more, by the way. Like, that's the only way you're going to be able to sort of have a working idea of who's better than whom. So eat it, all you people out there. Yeah. And uh, yeah, Charlie Z unbeaten. Keep it going. What else we got here? All right. All right. At the, drunk, at the drunken swan, BC. That's the guy. First of all, shout out to the drunken swan. That's the guy who who floods my DMs, not with dongs, but with good stuff. Shout out to that guy. He's a supplier. Yeah, who guy. gets who gets more dongs in their DMs, you or Laura Senko? I don't know. Uh, if Trump <laughs> wow. loses in November, does Colby change his personality? What do you think? Uh, he is, here's the problem. Jorge is pro-Trump. A lot of fighters are pro-Trump. Um, uh, Bryce Mitchell is pro-Trump, right? They're, they lean to the right and they're pro-Trump. But Colby is something different. Colby is a Trump mascot, and that changes the equation yes. here a little bit. Well, Colby plays into the negative stere stereotypes. Like, I believe you can be pro-Trump, but not be, like, pro-racism. Like, you know, there's there can be, like, distinctions within there. But, yes, Colby plays into the, the arrogance every single element with that. Um, No, I think he'll keep the gimmick. I don't know. I feel like Colby's time, uh, even though, like... He showed us a lot in that Usman fight. Like, who's to say he's going anywhere outside of leaving ATT, which he announced he officially is. I feel like that gimmick it doesn't have much shelf life left. I feel like we saw him really? slowly ev evolve in the buildup to... The you know why the buildup to the Usman fight wasn't fun? Because Colby wasn't Colby. He was, like, taking it serious. He was in the gym. He was actually working out. I feel like we're going to see more of just Colby the fighter in the end. I don't think you can keep that going. Now that we all know... It's fake, and it's not that we didn't know that, but now he's officially coming out in interviews and saying it's fake. It's sort of like once people realized pro wrestling wasn't real, right? Like, you can never go back to those days again. You know, like, pro wrestling could still be fun. It could still have ebbs and flows. There's still moments where I get hooked, and I really enjoyed AEW, by the way, last night with Mike Tyson and all the MMA guys. Shout out to them. Did you? But, Did you uh, but once it wasn't real anymore, it sort of lost a, a you know, a, a certain part of that conversation th that are never coming back. I just saw a highlight on Twitter, and for some reason, Tyson lost his shirt. I was like, are you no, the well, guy that he, fought he in the streets it off. of Look, Richmond? It, was, it wasn't like innovative stuff. It was cheesy and basic. He took his shirt off. There was push and pulling. You know, Rashad and Vitor are there. Oh, by the way, if Vitor Belfort's going to be a part of wrestling, can you please bring back the 2013 Mohawk and the 2013 Juice and just TRT right. yourself up? Maybe you already are, and I support that. Go do that in one, right? But yeah. uh, come out there and be an animal. But yeah, it's, it's fine. Look, it's fun. To AEW is the cool wrestling at the moment. Luke, I know you don't care. WWE sucks the horn right now, so it was fun to see Tyson get the score right on who he should be participating with. Well, I'm a big Tony Khan fan, so anything he does, I wish success for. Uh, okay. Yeah, don't you don't you slide in the man's DMs? Yeah, on occasion. All right. At NatRaj1803 BC, how do you see a prime Mike Tyson do against Wilder? How many seconds would, would Wilder last? <laughs> Uh, you mean before well, absolutely decapitating him? I don't know. Well, look, the, that that's a legitimate size difference, right? Six foot seven with really long arms and wilder against uh, you know five eleven Tyson. Obviously, five eleven Tyson beat up on a lot of tall guys and knows how to do it. That's why inevitably Tyson's going to knock him out because, God, like, I always say, Luke, from a cultural standpoint, unless you lived the Mike Tyson experience in the eighties, you know, yeah, including you know the. Including the Barbara Walters interview, including everything that went with that, you don't know it. Well, if you didn't live it from the boxing part too, you don't realize that you know he was technique-wise incredible, speed, defense 
pretty much everything. Incredible. He wasn't a wild slugger like he kind of became post-jail. Yeah, he's absolutely going to knock Deontay Wilder out. But, you know, if you're going to take any raw person, and that's Wilder, and give them a puncher's chance, good God, it's him. So that that is a dream fight of, of beyond dream fights. Did I tell you I spent um, the last week, uh, maybe an hour every night, breaking down his, uh, from just for my own personal edification, his peekaboo style, uh, Tyson's no, peekaboo no, style, that- how he closed distance. I did not realize how much there was. I mean, I knew there was a lot to it, but I didn't realize how much there was to it. Wow. I was sort of blown away. He gets kind of known as being like, what did you want to watch him for? Oh, it was like watching a lion catch a gazelle and eat it, right? That was sort of what the value was. And again, I'm not sitting here saying he was as good as Ali or something like that. I don't, I don't mean to suggest as much, but or even Lennox or Holyfield for that matter. But um, I, I do think that there is a level of technical sophistication with what he was doing that doesn't get the proper credit. And when you really begin to see the tiny details on how the footwork plays into the side to side and then the weaving side to side and how he could switch stances, take an angle, go southpaw, switch it up, make it look like he wasn't uh, it, just a lot to it. I was kind of blown away by it. It's, it's very, very yeah. impressive what he did. For a guy whose entry path is almost the most dangerous way possible, right? Square up and sort Square. of come at right. you. His speed is frightening, and his defensive responsibility was incredible. And, you know, this is where you give so much credit to Customato. Like, he legitimately took a, a, a raw being in this early teenage 13-year-old or whatever, Mike Tyson, who was, like, knocking out adults at that point because the power was so ferocious and brainwashed him into being an absolute destroyer who had the full knowledge of boxing history, right? They had that collection, that you know, the Jim Jacobs fight collection. They could, you know, that no one else had that eventually uh, ESPN bought from them. I mean, his knowledge of technique and history, I mean, he was like the perfect specimen. It's just uh, obviously it's a shame that, you know, the, the Don King influence and the Robin Givens influence, eventually everyone that cared about Mike dis- dissipated and that's why his skills went with it. But, you know, at his short, absolute prime, like give that killer the respect he deserves. Yeah, when you watch him the, and, they, and you see it, executed you're right most like tony ferguson i showed him dissected when he would go square tony he got lit up by justin gaethje but the peekaboo style entry is predicated on being fully square biggest target possible in in technical terms in front of your opponent and he would just waltz right in amazing uh all right we go to at taylor uh excuse me at tylorians who has the best dad bod in the fight game bc well, the, is that an oxymoron saying best dad bod? Because uh, no, no, dad like, who's, bods, the, uh, who's the who's the best fighter with a dad bod? Uh, uh, weird Ben Rothwell. He's got a he's got a pretty uh, good. Yeah, dad. I mean, not look, really a, it's not really a dad bod. That's like a DC grizzly is, dad bod. The answer is Daniel Cormier. I mean, he's thick with about four C's at this point, but uh, yeah. but you know, he's almost a, a special, unique individual. You know, I, I respect say- guys like Rothwell who are who look sloppy, not not sloppy in a Roy Nelson way. That's almost gross, but who sort of look sloppy yet could absolutely, you know, dismember you in ten different ways. I'd say uh, shout outs to Eric Spicely, very good fighter. You know, not exactly. I, I like Eric. I don't think he's going to win any bodybuilding contest, but very good fighter. He got a bit of an old dad body. He had a great fight against um, Duran Wynn. Uh, who else? Anyone else there in like that light heavy sort of like welter ish? Everyone is so cut down in weight. It's really only the heavyweights or like two hundred five and up. And Spicer I think is one eighty five. So yeah. yeah, all right. 
Uh, all right. What about Jay? Last... What about Jay, the producer? He's he's you know he's staying pretty fit for a. For a... Yeah, he's, when he's not spitting back at Uriah Hall, I guess he has to. We stay need to in get old... Uriah Hall on this and make Jay answer for his sins. Yeah, right? he really he really needs to talk about that. All right. Lastly, at Jonah Griff underscore, what would Luke and Brian's call signs be? If they were fighter jet pilots, <laughs> Top Gun, baby, yeah, yeah. yeah. What do you Look, think? Look, I what fancy myself a goose, right? I, I sort of fit that mold, right? Yeah, I guess so. I definitely see myself as Val Kilmer in that movie, for sure. Look, the bad I would guy. take you on the highway to the danger zone. Okay, <laughs> I was bitter that the pandemic pushed That's back the uh, the Come sequel. On. I know, I know, it's the song. I get it. I just no-sold it. Uh, no, that's they, Jay putting up the 90s counter. Got oh, it. did okay. he? Okay. okay. Uh, they, the sequel was supposed to be out with Tom Cruise as now a essentially what would be a Marine Corps uh, colonel, an, an 06, still fighting jet pilots or still being a jet pilot. And, you know, totally absurd premise. But, okay, neither here nor there. Uh, do you have an idea what they would call you? Um... Uh... Heavy bulge? I don't know. I, you know, whatever, whatever, whatever. Heavy bulge. They would not call you heavy bulge. Okay. They'd probably call you soup because of Campbell's. Yeah, that's probably true. They probably, yeah, that's probably true. Yeah. yeah. Uh, some of the dudes in the Marines called me uh, Dino, Dino. Dino? Uh, as in like dinosaur? Because uh, I was because sort of. Because of your little... archaic views on life and women or what? You're the one with archaic views on women, motherfucker, not me. You're the one who's like, uh, BC literally believes in honor killings. That's a true thing. Uh, no, just be sort of, I was large and lumbering. There you go. Uh, okay, BC, speaking of all the things you do that's crazy, it's time for your portion of the show, good sir. Take it away. All right, I've said this before, but I will say it again. This might be the best we've ever had. We scour the globe for the good and bad, the highs and lows, and in between in combat sports. It's have you seen this shit? Luke, I'm telling you, I got gold today. So get right. ready. Get ready, right? Juice up. Three needles. Juice up. All right, here we go. Here we go, Luke. Um, we always start with sending somebody to hell in traditional combat sports. How about this? Brutal KO oh. to the face. Oh, my God, Luke. Oh, God. Kickboxing. Come at me. Bro, step through knee, Jesus. Right after the ref breaks him, no, oh, just jabbed his way in, oh. popped him. I don't that's have a, a nice name. One. I don't have a promotion, but what this looks Russian to me. Have you have you seen those memes that's like, my plans, then 2020? Yes, yes, this yeah, is that, one that's of those. The, once he's on the canvas, it's 2020. All right, a lot of people really into this in my DMs. Fight Time Promotions 34 is the card. Luis Gomez is the man with the arm drag KO. Check this ish out, Luke. Yeah. It's not an arm drag. Sorry, sorry, uh, Judoka. Please break down the technique for us. This is a failed drop Sayanagi. Uh, he was supposed to go ass over tea kettle. He just took him face first. Uh, an arm drag, he'd be pulling to take a side to take the back. That's a, that's a drop Sayanagi. He may have did a Miyagi do karate, but it worked. Look, he knocked the dude out. I mean, come on. <laughs> he certainly did. It's the best failed. It's the best failed drop Sayanagi I've ever seen. All right, shout out to Fight Time Promotions on that. Uh, hey, it's pandemic time, so we get a lot of craziness. Here's a fight in a Home Depot parking lot. Don't get wet here. This is a, look at the. What? Don't get caught watching the paint dry here, Luke. This is great stuff right here. There's old guy going after that. You know, wow. Bro, they're fighting with. They're fighting That's with raw materials, bro. 
I know. Look, he's slapping some Stockton well, slap. He got that guy covered in paint. I mean, dog, what's going gets, on here? It gets so real in the Home Depot parking lot. Because there's dudes out there looking for work. You get to sit there and watch them make deals. People oh, are yeah. angling for you know a parking spot. They're trying to get the raw materials. They're backed up, bro. It is it is the real deal, Holyfield, out there in the parking lot. Uh, this is a pretty good fight, though. Shout out to uh, is that Jeff Goldblum? No, 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 no. I think no. that's Jeff Whoa, Wagenheim. That is Jeff Wagenheim. Yes. Wow. This may be outside the uh, the the med dealer. I'm bro, the, Jeff the, uh, Wagenheim. Jeff Wagenheim is fucking up. These uh, parking lot Home Depot workers. It was a cannabis delivery day, and they were out. Luke, so uh, our buddy Wags going off. Wow, is that uh, Mike Chiapetta? He just took out. All right, okay. Hey, let's roll on here. No, it's Mark oh, Ramundi. Remember, remember, we had uh, Abulea break up that uh, wrestling match in Armenia a couple weeks yeah. ago. Yeah, check yeah, out yeah. this. Uh, Backyard boxing. I don't know where this is, but check out the lady in the front oh. row holding the baby. First of all, sick knockout by blue gloves. But check out this mama with the baby. Don't oh, f with Abuleya. Don't don't f with Abuleya. Oh my God, Luke! She's coming for that ass, Luke. Bro, she might. She should have been the one that uh, gloved up with the guy. She's in this. that ass. Look at her, dude. She literally said, "Hold my baby," and then she jumped over the top. Well, it's body now, shot over the top, and then another left hook. That's a nice is combo she the right mother? there. Do you think she's the mother of red gloves, the lover of red gloves, the grandma? What are we doing here? I mean, no, spicy Latin for, women. This is your she'd territory. Be the, she'd be the abuela, which means the grandmother. And for sure, she's the, yeah. Look at her, dude. She's like, doesn't give a fuck about her hairstyle anymore, but she still will put hands on you. She's like, doesn't care anymore. Bro, that's, that's wow, you love Look, Luke, you, this is spicy woman one on one oh one for you. That's, this is great. You love that is this. what I live my life for BC. I live my life for uh, Latin women. By the way, I that. only show you respect the fact that your first date with your wife was at a shooting range. Like the cannibal corpse stuff is weird, but like that's on brand for you guys. You know, I'm shout, shout out to yeah. your, to your, uh, your, your love story there. Hey, let's, we, we did yeah, a grandma. G36 let's go to a grandpa. was a nice thing to pick up. Uh, yeah, yeah, indeed. Check out this grandpa fail here. Look, every old guy wants to be cool and join the party and grab the funnel. But this, what the hell? That's not how you do it, Luke. That is not how it goes. Is this one of those porn videos you were talking about where they were peeing on each other? What was this one? <laughs> I know this guy's trying to uh, relive his glory days at Marquette in the early 70s, right? When he played quarters with his friends. I mean, come on, guy. Dude, what is he drinking? There's nothing left. Well, yeah, he just I know. wore the shit. No, come on! Don't look at look at Grandpa. Stay away from that, Luke. This drink. Uh, I, I like how uh, like look look when he takes it out. He takes it out like all triumphantly. Watch this. Like watch this. Ready? Yeah. Here we go. Ready? Takes it out. He goes. Look at this. Crushed it. Well, to be <laughs> to be fair, he drank it with his eyeballs and his nose. Uh, so, Luke, pause the video here, Jay. This guy can't drink, but I'm about to show you somebody who can, Luke. I don't know how I came into contact with this fella. His real name is Tom Dowd. He goes by at Ronnie Deutsch on Instagram. This man, where I come from, we would call him a diesel man. He can handle his stuff. Are you ready to meet Ronnie Deutsch? You ready for this? Ready as I'm going to be. All right, here we go. These are three 22-ounce Stella Artois funneled together with a makeshift Poland spring top. Tell me if you give any respect to, to what this man's about to do here, Luke. Let's see how he does. Now, it I first. don't know this. I don't know this guy personally. I can't vouch for him, but this is heroic. This guy is the Asa Akira of beers. 
uh, he's the John Jones. Well, actually, that might be too true. But yeah, yeah, yeah. He's the Sada Hada O of slamming beers, Luke. I have to admit, that's pretty impressive. He's the Peter North, right? No, no, no. He was the, that would be the person that re- on the receiving end of Peter North. He's the Lyle and Eric Menendez. All right, um, let's go on to his next trick. Uh, the last dance concluded, and we broke all that down. Here's this guy, Tom Dowd, celebrating that's the, the last that's the dance. London, that's the London Keys of beer. Yes, in his Jordan throwback. Luke, this is six pints. Six pints of, uh, I believe, Miller Lite. Does that look Miller Lite-ish to you? It looks that way. Wow. I mean, are you, are you giving this respect? I mean, are you going to put some respect on this man's name? Wow. Wow. Uh, he took a bit of a pause there between three and four. Luke, you remember that old guy they had on the man show, the Ziggy Zoggy guy? Yeah. I, I, think, I think this guy, Ronnie Joyce, could take him. I s- sincerely do. I know that guy died shortly after, so good luck. Good luck, Ronnie. But uh, wow, Luke. He's impressive. He's impressive. Yeah. yeah, he's going to the fast food right now. Um, if you, oh, that didn't impress you, Luke, then tell me if this does. This is 72 ounces of beer inside of one giant glass. Can we roll the next one, Jay? <laughs> he's like Little John. Luke, how long little do you John? think it would take this guy to drink that? How about 11 seconds, Luke? I'm telling you, your organs would shut down, right? What is this man made of? So he's like the Joey Chestnut slash Takeru Kobayashi of beer. Is that the idea? Yes. Yes, he is. Yes, he is. That is incredible. I got one more for you. Tell me if you're impressed. Um, you got to be a special individual to pull this one off, Luke. You got to be his, about six. I bet his piss stinks. Yeah. <laughs> you got, I'd like to see his driving record. You got to be about 6'5", Luke, and be able to pull this off. But, you know, I like basketball and I like drinking. This is very impressive right here. Chug of his- beer. I was like, he's got his Daniel Cormier gear on. Yep, yep. I tell you, this could win the dunk contest, right? This is way better than Spud Webb. That's pretty cool. I like that. Yeah. Chugging a beer yeah. between the bounces. All right, I'll give him respect. That's good. As long as, long as he has a, an Uber driver, I am down with this guy. All right, let's, speaking of bad driving, Luke, uh, it's boat season coming up right now. Uh, check, <laughs> check out how this one ends, Luke. You, any, you hang out at any lakes in the greater D.C. area over the summer? No. Fuck no. All right. Well, you could hire this guy to drive you and, and, uh, and your family around. He's, he's coming on shore to park it, Luke. Oh, Is gosh. that the dude with no neck from 90 Day Fiance? Big uh. Ed? <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? That dude who flew all the all way right. to Thailand and made some lady take an STD test? Yeah, I think he drove the boat there, and this is yeah, how this he, is what he, he did. Oh, God. Again, All again, right. here's him driving the boat, my plans, and then when he wrecks it, 2020. Once 2020. Again, well, one me. more of those. Let's check out this Asian moped driver, Luke. This, is, this ain't going to end good either. This is why you don't drink and drive, Luke. Call Uber. Look at this. <laughs> oh, God. The only thing missing from this clip is the fact that the uh, driver is not elderly. Luke, I'm trying to figure out who is the the reigning champion of Have You Seen This Shit? Right now, it's that guy, Ronnie Deutsch, the bear drinker. But I'm going to bring this Asian fella back into your life. Are you impressed with this trick? I know this guy's Uh, Is this the guy who yanks stuff off of his tiny genitals? (laughs) Yeah. I heard he pitched for the Yankees. Oh, sorry. That guy's coming up next. Check out this. Two cousins. The younger one challenged the older one to a duel football style. He put on the pads. Luke, I think this is how Aaron Bird died. Check this out. Dude, you got they two refrigerator parries. 
They get oh my god! Oh, oh my god! You got, you got jacked up! You got jacked up! Oh, 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 oh. oh he got lifted out of his feet! Wow! Wow! Oh, that was dude. The, the other one just had a better. You know, he just had a nice running start. Man, that was great. You know Luke, what, Junior? I, it, you know what, Junior? You learned a valuable lesson today. Luke, you and I would not be a good match for this. I'm a I'm a very uh, uh, skinny fella. Well, I'm skinny and fat at the same time. But what if we got Ronnie Deutsch, the six foot five drinking legend, and lined him up like this against you, full duel style? See, here's the thing: he'd probably win, right? Because the key to this is Luke who gets the running start first, right? He had that yeah, momentum he, built. I think that guy'd be quicker than me, so he probably he probably just win. Yeah, you got to get low too. I don't think you can bend over anymore. No, Luke. Uh, no, wow, I can't. I'm weird. old and frail. Right. I'm forty. Hey, let's go to the Asian guy. Uh, let's check out this week's trick. Uh, I'm down with this, Luke. I think this is one of the rare ones he does that I can pull off. This is me in the morning trying to, you know, <laughs> go to the bathroom. <laughs> All right, let's go on to the next one. Uh, check out the balls on this Detlef Schrempf lookalike. You remember that guy, right? Great Pacer, yeah, Sonics forward. Yeah. Look at the balls on him to wear this, Luke. What is Is this art? Are we art? Is art art, Luke? What is this? Dude, what bet did he lose that this ended up being his life? Yeah. Wow. Great, great Euro mullet, though. Shout out to that. Indeed. Uh, Luke, Rocky we're going to close with this. Uh, don't play. Right. Yeah. Rocky Mountain. I like that. Shout out to that. Um, I want to close with this. Look, there are people that are saying, Luke, you're a big COVID-19 head, um, that we may never shake hands again. We're certainly not doing tip to tip again, Luke. We're going to have to find some. We've never done tip to tip, Brian. We're, I, I am. Just go ahead. I, don't get, Just, I can't even do it. I don't get ahead. down like that. I don't don't put stuff on me. I don't get down like that. Um, my wife and I entertained people in our backyard over the weekend for Memorial Day, and when they came over, we had to awkwardly like, what do we do? Bash brothers? Do we do fist bumps? Do we do like elbow fives? Check out these Indian boys. They may have the newest thing during COVID, Luke, to to greet people. That right there is innovation, Luke. <laughs> Jay, can you zoom in there, Jay? Can you <laughs> this is the dumbest show on the internet. <laughs> I don't, I don't know if the there internet. was a transaction the of money or fluids right there, Luke, but that is, oh, wow, yeah. What do you uh, even call this? What do you call this? Uh, I don't know. I don't know. Wow. That is, uh, I would do that with you, Luke. I would do that with you. All right. Uh, the old, the old trouser shake. I mean, the the, yeah. <laughs> the trouser greeting. I mean, the trouser something. I don't know. Right. That's it. That's it. No more shit. I've seen it. That's it. Thank you. Let's move on. Let's move on. I'm like floored by this. I don't even. We. That has to be the official greeting of morning combat. If we I ever think it do, has to be. BC. If we ever do like a meet and greet or we do like a live show somewhere, everyone who wants to shake hands with us has to do it through an open fly like that. <laughs> Just like that. Look at you embracing that. I thought you were going to quit the show after that picture. This is great. Quit the show. Dude, this uh, this is my life now. I have fully leaned into the fact that I'm also going to be associated with your love of By the way, Jay, what was the handle? What was the handle on that Instagram account where that picture came from, Jay? Did you see that? What was that? Jay? Is that uh, at Wholesome Boys of India? I do not follow that one, okay? Dude. Who the fuck are you? Jeffrey Epstein? Fucking Brian Epstein no, no. over here? Look, 
here's who I stand for on on Instagram. Uh, CTE Society. Uh, <laughs> Hoagie farts. <laughs> Hoagie farts. Uh, nut shots. <laughs> Ronnie Deutsch now. Uh, Ronnie Deutsch. Right. Ronnie Deutsch. Okay, yeah. very good. Yeah, yeah, all right. Uh, all all right. right. Well, amazing. If you want to hit Brian up, you can do that. We'll put the uh, Instagram thing up later. All right, BC. Time now for our odds and ends. Good, sir. What do you have for odds and ends? Yeah, I got two of them. One I think is interesting. Uh, We all lived the last dance with Jordan, and ESPN did a great job of that over five weeks. They have filled that spot on Sunday nights with the new two-part Lance Armstrong documentary. Now, full full disclosure, I, I never really cared about Lance Armstrong either way, but I was interested in learning a lot. I have only watched the first one. The second one's going to air Sunday. You have seen them both, correct? Correct. I saw them both, yep. Uh, first of all, it's really good. And second of all, I don't think you can go forward without taking the first biggest takeaway from this show. Lance Armstrong's an a-hole. Like, he's an absolute D-bag. He has advertised. I think his personality sucks. The way he was raised sucks. I think a lot about Lance Armstrong. Uh, yeah, sucks. Okay, so I'm going to put that out there. I'm gonna just going to put that foundation. I don't think I could spend five minutes with the guy. But seeing the exact details of what he went through, right? Winning the world championships in 93. And then two years later, essentially being an also ran because the sport went in such a direction of PEDs and the foundation that they laid that this is already an insanely dangerous sport in ways. The average person doesn't realize right for what it does to your body physically for how easy it is to crash all that. The only way to compete at a certain point, Luke was to, What's to do that? What's to dope? EPO, whatever. Stick things everywhere. Um, it's a little bit different than the combat sports debate in, in, in PEDs when you're hitting another person in the face. Although even within that debate, and you've had many PED combat sports debates, you could say, well, look, if the other guy's doing it, is it dangerous that I don't do it too? But let's put that aside. That's a separate topic. You know, some people look at the 90s with Maguire and Sosa and get just angry because it, you know, blew up the the sacred record books of their previous heroes, even though all their previous heroes were, you know, swallowing amphetamines and, you know, staying up all night with Mickey Mantle and, you know, hot dog in a a hando with Babe Ruth, all that. I actually don't blame Lance Armstrong for what he did. The guy beat cancer. The guy came back and won a million Tour de France's in a row. Well, did he, wait, he did wait, a lot of good. Wait till you see. Wait till you see part two. You might have a bit of a different. All right, view then on I, that. I will reserve judgment on that, Luke. But as things stand right now, is he a dirt hole of a human? Probably. No, no. Yeah. Actually, I'll say it. Yes, he is. Definitely. But I don't damn him and blame him for playing the game that everybody else was and just being better and. While people wanted to look back at everything good he ever did for cancer and crush it because he was a liar, and he was. He was an absolute liar. Um, he did do a lot of good there. So you know what? At the end of the day, he's, he's, he's kind of like that guy, Ronnie Deutsch. You know, I'm not going to stand for that guy. I'm not going to tell your, you know, your sister to date him, but I respect that guy. You know, he did his thing. So as things stand right now, I think a lot of us, if we were in Lance's spot, we probably would have done the same thing. Lance Lance is the is the embodiment of uh, infinite uh, uh, contradiction, right? And you'll see this in the second episode. It really brings into contrast all the good that he did 
and then all the bad. Because here's the point. Like, If you didn't see part one, what they basically said was if you looked at the Tour de France numbers between the first place runner, or runner, uh, uh, racer, biker, whatever, whatever the name is, and then the last place, it's about two hours, okay? Which, which over the course of the race in terms of its totality is about 2%. Um, if you took EPO and all the leading teams out of Europe were taking EPO, it made a 10% difference in your ability to race. So here's the reality. It's a pass-fail test. Either you take EPO and you can compete, you're, you're at least in the game, or you don't and you have no choice. To me, I, and I've said this before for other reasons, like everyone's all high and mighty about PED use and MMA, and you know, there's absolutely no indication at all. There's zero evidence that MMA is at all safer now as a consequence, or UFC is safer as a consequence of USADA's introduction. I think most of those arguments are total trash. People watch Bellator and one and regional MMA without the slightest degree of concern for safety uh, relative to the same concerns they apply to UFC. And so to me, the whole argument is, is totally hypocritical. But keeping it to just Lance, like, dude, that was... Like that was the game you had. If you, I mean, if you didn't want to play, then you don't race. Like that's just what it is. And there were guys who said in the peloton, which is the group that races together, they didn't want to take it. And then the race team would be like, okay, well, you're the guy who supports the front guy. You're the guy in the back. That's what you are. Um, so I don't blame that. The thing where it gets a little dicey, and not even dicey, where it just gets outright bad. You'll hear about all the things he did for cancer that are more than just raise money, more than just raise awareness. Like there's real specific things he did that save people's lives and that should count on the other hand you can't dope and uh keep it a secret uh yet you're gonna try to but when you try to and the way that lance did you're gonna ruin other people's lives and he went after people he sued them uh, into bankruptcy he destroyed reputations oh so you're saying that after episode two i will change my tune completely and again no, i'm gonna it tell will, you, it will make I, you i'm not no, no, that well versed on the lance story you, you won't change your tune it will make you feel i came away feeling more conflicted than ever because here's what you can't figure out is he a good person who trended into bad or is he a bad person who did good and the answer is mm. i'm not sure i can tell the difference anymore that's i don't know what the difference like is it's it's true. It's like how do you tell the difference when it gets that narrow? He did an. You'll see cancer survivors that credit the truly very specific things that Lance did to save their lives that the medical professionals around them did not do, and that you're like, dude, like that's like <laughs> these people are grateful to him, man. And then on the other hand, you'll hear about people he tried to sue into oblivion, and they can only talk about him in the most demonic terms possible. He's both. He's both. Yeah. You know? But I think the, a lot of people doping, have that reaction. I don't, a, I don't give a flying fuck about the doping. Wow. Wow, Luke. Uh, I think a lot of people had that reaction following your Twitter feed during COVID. It's like, you know, I know he's doing good, but he's scaring the <laughs> crap out of me. You know? Well, all he's right. He's angering Speaking, me. He's irritating me. You know? Uh, here, is, here is the reality about the majority of some of the more controversial views that I hold. Um, I certainly would not say that I'm ahead of the curve because I don't think that's true because even I... Uh, either amend or change opinions over time. As adults, we sort of all do, right? You get new evidence. You have to kind of figure things out. But it has been a consistent and pervasive theme in my life. Two different things I've noticed. One, over time, people find that they agree with my ideas more and more. So there's initial resistance up front, which they come to later. And that's the same thing with my personality. My wife hated my guts the first time she met me. And, you know, oh, she met you with a gun. Together. She had a gun in her no, hand. No, no, the first no, time no, no. But met. the first time I met her, I mean, that was our first date. But that wasn't the first time I met her. 
Uh, she hated my guts. I had to woo this person over time. And so it just becomes a pervasive theme. I, I don't know what the future holds for the world of anti-doping. I tend to think what's probably going to happen is they're going to try and criminalize it. Uh, certain countries already are. And I think probably only after you're starting to throw people in jail will they realize how fucking insane this all is. But, you know, I, don't, I, can't, I can't say with any certainty that that's true. Now, you well, mentioned... I love co- any- I love any, sorry, real quick. I love any documentary that does it right and they leave the, they make it gray. They leave, you know, and I, and after one episode, it's gray. I don't really know who, you know, what I should really think about Lance. I'm torn. So shout out to them. Can't wait yeah. for episode two. And then the other part is you see the other guys who doped in that generation because hello, they were competing with the guys who were doping, right? And some of their countries would turn on them. And some of their countries would embrace them, and there'd be no real rhyme or reason for who got turned into what. Now, Lance's case is different, but let's say there was, they talked about like certain German or Italian writers, where they'd be two German writers. They did the exact same thing, same accomplishments, same transgressions. One would be a scapegoat, and one would be a hero, and there'd be no difference between them other than how the public and the media treated them. And you just begin to realize, like, so much of this is just media hysteria and arbitrariness. Lance deserved what he got, I think. I think it's a pretty fair thing to say, but it just brings into larger question about how we treat these topics and how difficult they are to, to grapple with. Now, you mentioned COVID. Here's the one thing I'll say, I, and again, I'm going to say this in my defense, BC. So uh, the UFC got approved to do shows in Nevada, which is great. It's a great development. They're going to be at the apex. I don't know how long they're going to be at the apex, but for however long they got the green light, my hunch is they're going to be there, right? Because it's just a great opportunity to leverage this infrastructure that they've built. Thumbs up. But the way they're going to do it is by virtue of what the Nevada Commission passed, which is in Florida, what happened was Florida just said, come on down. And the UFC made a pledge to stick to that 20-page document, which I read through that the New York Times had reported on. But you'll note in the waivers that they made everybody sign, including media, they said, we don't have to do any of this. Like, and if you get COVID, not our responsibility. They went ahead and did it, but they did not have any obligation to do it. This is different. Nevada is drafting the rules. Now, they may cohere with the UFC's plans, BC, but now the UFC has to agree to what the Nevada Commission wants. And you read through their plan. I'm not saying it's perfect. I suspect that will be amended over time, too, but it's materially different. Like, test results for antibodies or the swabs, either nasal or back of the throat. I think they're going back of the throat now. Um, they yeah. have to be reported for their antibody tests their, or any kind of oral fluid. They have to be FDA approved. I don't know if you paid attention to this, but at first the FDA didn't regulate the antibody test market. So you could get all kinds of false positives, which they got in Florida with Dan Ige and uh, uh, Claudia Gadelia, which they reported to SiriusXM. And so here's my point. Go back to March and early April. What was I asking for from UFC? I had made explicit, you can dig it up on the show, I had made explicit that what I was waiting for was for, I had made the argument, we don't know what safe is because no leading commission, Nevada, California, Nevada, has come up with protocol. Well, now we have it, and it looks like this. Was that so hard? I mean, I'm not saying that Florida was necessarily a mistake in many ways. Maybe you could even make the argument that getting that first push is what enabled Nevada to be at the space that they're in, and I'd even entertain that to a degree. But I don't think waiting for Nevada to put out their list and making a promoter adhere to it is some kind of crime. It's some kind of like crazy request. This is what I was waiting for. We have it. Is this the finish line? I, who knows what the finish line even looks like, BC? But this is, this is that turning point 
that I was waiting for, and I'm glad to see it. The sport's better off for it. And now it's off to the races because any promoter yeah. who can copy that, you're free to resume shows, including Top Rank in June. Yeah, it looks like Top Rank's going to do like a Tuesday, Thursday night thing. Maybe that's playing nice with ESPN for UFC going on Saturday night, but I'm down with it. Luke, I'm hoping that this change leads to uh, more boxing and MMA promoters saying, look, if we don't have a big-time fight on Saturday night that's going to compete against college football, that's going to compete against the other combat sport of the moment, whether it's UFC or boxing, can we please put it on a Tuesday night, a Wednesday night, a Sunday night, a, a Thursday night, whatever? You know, I've always been that guy. World. I've always been that guy when like they had fights on Wednesdays. They always like, oh, we don't want to do it. We don't get the best ratings. But it's like to me to break up your week with a fight night is like, yeah, it's like one of the best things that there is. Let me ask you about this. Top rank only doing like what four or five fights on a card total. What do you make of yes. that? Well, I mean, it makes sense because you can't do walkout bouts where there's no crowd, right? You're you know or, or you know uh, curtain jerker bouts. So. Uh, you know, yeah, the people that are going to lose in boxing right now, of course, are the smaller promoters, the the fighters who who you know aren't TV guys for sure. But that's all you can do at the moment, so it makes a lot of sense. You're not going to see great top rank fights, and you know to start off. Uh, look, I think boxing promoters are 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 in a much worse spot than the big MMA ones who are more reliant on TV deals, and and it's going to be interesting, Luke. But hopefully by February first, twenty twenty one, we can get people back into arenas. And uh, yeah, all right. Yeah. Hopefully, yeah, yeah, maybe, by that point, maybe, you will, maybe in Taipei and Seoul. That's about it. Hopefully, you will swallow your doubt, turn it inside out, Luke, and find faith in nothing, as you always do. Uh, uh, Luke, also true. on Odds and Eds, I wanted to hit this up. Um, you know, we I love weird fights, gas station fights, gas station food. Anderson Silva has started it up again, <sighs> banging that drum for the one fight in MMA that I want more than other. No, it's not Jones and Ganu. It's Anderson Silva versus Conor McGregor. And while you and I were preparing for this show, news got out and Conor tweeted, I accept. Now, who knows if it's actually going to happen. But remember when we talked about Conor McGregor kind of needs a stay busy fight that would keep him ready for the winner of Habib Justin Gaethje if you believe that UFC's business plans really point in that direction. I, this came up a couple years ago when both showed interest. I'm going to bring it back up again, even with Anderson Silva at 45. Luke, this fight bangs Andy wanted a catch weight of 176 Connor just said on Twitter I'll fight you at 185 why wouldn't you do this look just like Jones and Ganu just like Conor McGregor versus Oscar De La Hoya in boxing you don't know what this is going to look like you really don't why wouldn't you do this thing uh because I am not a weirdo uh I hate this fight I hope they never make it they probably won't it's sad I don't have any interest in it. And Why is I'd it rather, sad? I'd rather, it's creative. I'd, I'd rather dip my balls in a ninja blender than watch five seconds of that fight. So, First of all, you couldn't last 10 minutes in my uh, vasectomy exam room, all right? First probably of all, Probably three needles, um, right? Three needles. Second of all, Luke, um, what, the two, you know, two of the biggest brands of all time, it would sell... And it's this is Oscar De La Hoya fighting Manny Pacquiao. This is what that is. It's like, wow, what would that look like, right? And this, this is, is how not, you make fun. This is fun. so not Oscar De La Hoya fighting Manny Pacquiao. This is not. All right, at all then what would it? Look, okay, okay, smart guy. Then what would it look like? This is like Lomachenko fighting <laughs> Kermit Centron or something. I mean, this is. I have you know we're talking we're talking a Silva who is much bigger. We all know, and so far past it. I'm not tell again. It's the same thing with Mike Tyson. I can't tell you it wouldn't do well. 
I, I, it would probably do great. I just okay, so are I mean, you in? Are you uh, insinuating here, here that Andy Connor picks Connor has the- Connor has a limited amount of fights before he either stops or then goes into do, do like crazy shit. Can we keep him on the straight and narrow for crying out loud and get these fights that matter first, and okay. then we can talk about the fuckery later? That's fair. Okay, that point is fair. But really, revisit it right now. Are you insinuating that Andy's too old for this and you would get his ass kicked? Is that what you're insinuating? I'm saying he's too old to make it as interesting as he otherwise could. Whether he gets his ass kicked or not, I don't know. He's got a good chin for the most part. Um, he's, he'd, have, he'd have reach. Probably has a better gas tank. Um, you know, Ooh, you're took talking, a round from Adesanya. You're talking yourself into it. No, I'm just like... It's like, oh, he wouldn't die in 30 seconds. Oh, let's make a fight. That's that's your threshold? Like again, No, he would have an inherent advantage, Luke. Jones and Nganu is interesting for precisely the reason that Connor and Silva is not. Connor is still in his prime and appears to be rejuvenated and interesting. Silva's only advantage is that while he is so far past it, he's still got a relative size and reach advantage. That's not especially interesting to me. Uh, what's interesting to me is when both guys are in the relative, and we don't know about Jones, but again, relative peak of their powers, not, oh, let's, uh, the reason why we can bring in Silva here is because he is so far past it that the size advantage makes up for that in some That's kind of way. That's why it works. If he was in his peak of his powers, you couldn't make this fight. Connor would have got killed. Right. Well, to me, watching a guy who's got a foot out the door fight against a guy who's much smaller who doesn't. I mean, I'm not saying there's no permutation where that works. It doesn't work for me in this one. I could not care less. Luke, have fun in your life. All right? I do have fun. Right? I have plenty of fun. I it's just Sterling versus Sandhagen. Well, you know, I'll, you know, take your pants off. Fucking drink, get in the pool and do a, uh, you know, the beer funnel, throw it in your face like the old guy did. I'm down. No. Go fight in a Home no. Depot parking lot with Jeff Wagenheim. No. I'm down no. for that. Just not for no. Connor versus Silva. Find that find that child in you from old Marietta, that one that believed in life, possibility, enjoyment, fun, entertainment, right? Find that yeah. guy. Find that kid in Cutter, okay? In Doha. Yes, I certainly will. Uh, all right, let's do this. Let's remind everybody, you can follow us in a bunch of different places. Uh, let's put the graphic up. I think there's one for Instagram. There's one for Twitter for me and BC there. And then in the middle... Morning Combat on Instagram is where we put the all the assets up for a post-show stuff. But then pre-show, 24 hours before the show, we put a post up where you can put all your questions. And that's what makes the show. And then Morning Combat donks, thumbs up on the video. Subscribe to the channel. Share it around. I always appreciate that when you do. And then uh, we have to mention one more time, of course, if you'd like to try Showtime, who makes this show possible. I don't know why you wouldn't. You can go get a free trial. Showtime.com right now. 30 days. If you like it, you can keep it. If not, you can skip it in BC. We should tell folks, Showtime Extreme, tonight at 10 p.m. East Coast time, Morning Combat Strike Force Classics. It rolls yes. on, baby. Stop, Luke. Hammer time. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, okay. Well, with that in mind, if you want more of Brian's work, you can get it at CBS Sports. I'm Luke Thomas, and until we see each other on Monday, may all of your gains be loyal.